said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. I'll stop there for a moment. It was an imagination that wasn't true. But in his mind, all he's been hearing is, kill David. Jonathan and David are in a league. David's lying in wait. And so David's now, if you would, got an imagination going on. In his mind, he said, I'm going to perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than, that is, I should, uh, I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me, to seek me any more in the coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hands. Saul's after me. He's going to get me. I'm going to die one day when he catches me. So I'm going to decide that I'm going to go into the land of the Philistines. And by the way, uh, who in verse number one did David counsel with? Himself. You guys know already, you ladies, one of the one people you don't want to listen to is yourself. So David talks to himself in his own heart, takes all this that's going on. That's why you want to be careful about hearing too much. You'll get false imaginations going on. Come on, is that right? Sometimes I don't want to hear. Uh, I think it was Spurgeon who said, I have one blind eye and one deaf ear. And I often turn it to the congregation. It's my best eye and best ear. You don't want to hear everything that's going on. When you're young, you do. As you get older, you don't. Come on, still with me or not? Because it can plant things in your mind. And if you would, in 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, David is said in his heart, I shall now perish one day in the hand of Saul. In psychological terms, and this is a true story, uh, they call it self-talk. You say, I don't want to learn anything psychological. In psychological terms, I've, I've been through, and I don't want to say this the wrong way, but uh, uh, through uh, some of the VA counseling I've been through, they term it, they, the psychologists, term it self-talk. I can even remember that. And don't say that you don't have it. Everybody has a little bit of self-talk. And sometimes we don't want to believe ourselves. But ourselves convince us of something. And in this case, David took action upon it. And notice what he did, verse number 2. David rose and passed over with Noah 600 men. By the way, their families were with him because we know it's Ziglag, right? So 600 men followed him and they came to Achish, the son of Maok, uh, king of Gath. Now David's showing up at Gath. I'm just letting that sink in just for a moment. That's where Goliath is from. They all know who David is. He killed their champion. But when he goes down there, he changes his behavior to the place where he's going out and killing, if you would, killing off the, uh, the ones who are uh, part of the Philistine uh, alliance. And he's killing off literally men, women, children, boys, girls, when he goes into a town, you can see that in verse number 10 and 11. He saved neither, uh, if you would, man or woman alive. And he'd come back and he'd tell Achish uh, something different than he was actually doing. So he's kind of living a lie. Would you agree with that? I'm just letting it sink in. And this started by him talking to himself. 
And the words are self-talk. Let me give you whatever two-word statement. Self-talk in psychology can lead to a stuck point. You say, why are you teaching this? Stay with me. Self-talk can lead to a stuck point. What's a stuck point? It's complicated. It's what you get stuck on that you can't get out of your mind that keep repeating itself and keeps repeating itself and talking to you and telling you it's true and creating a perception in you that's false. Can you all relate to that? Now, some in college would have a little bit of that, but when you get in the ministry, self-talk can come. Some, you said, somebody said they quit on Monday morning. I quit on Sunday afternoons. After that morning message that went, that everybody got something but you. And if you're not careful for that self-talk, you see, I have, um, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. But that tells me that it's possible to have a condemning heart. And my heart is on self-condemnation. I don't, I don't typically blame others. My self-talk is about me. And I have a really a condemning spirit about me. Can anybody relate to that? Now, some people blame shift, but my blame is on me. And my self-talk is, our congregation wouldn't be as messed up as it is if I was a better pastor. If I preached better. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? And that self-talk, I can get stuck on things. Sometimes I can get stuck on what someone is saying, what someone is doing. In this case, David is self-talking, and he's stuck on Saul and the threat of Saul. And the influence Saul is having. And that's why he says in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And he takes actions to go to the Philistines. And he convinces Achish, king of Gath, that he's genuine. To the place where Achish, king of Gath, makes him and his men his secret service. Come on, is that right? They're in the rear protecting him. Even the day that Saul's going out to battle... Achish is him are going to have a conflict. David's over with Achish. And it was the princes saying, what's he doing? It was the princes of the Philistines saying, what's David out here? Don't you know who he killed? And they're the ones that stopped, if you would, by God's providence, David going out that day. The point of it is, is we got to be careful about talking to ourselves. And counseling ourselves. In fact, one of the things I pray in the morning is, Lord, please protect me from me today. Please protect me from what I'm going to tell myself today that's not of you. That's a false perception. Everybody got the, the, the thought so far? So let me, let me ask you to study with me something a little deeper. Look at 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. And by the way, I appreciate the variety of the preaching this morning, and I hope this one doesn't throw you off. So far, you've got, what's the message about? Well, self-talk and uh, stuck points. Can you see how my mind thinks? But I went through uh, a period of time where uh, I've had uh, three depressions in the ministry, and I don't say that lightly. 
Uh, some of them were uh, pretty, pretty serious. Nine month, uh, an eight month, and a six month. Different years after I was 46 years old. And um, so through a series of events, um, I had made a commitment to the Lord about the, the VA. And I won't go into detail for the sake of time, but I did not know the person that was helping me through the VA. And I didn't mess with it for 40 years, but finally someone in our church worked with the VA and said, Pastor, can I help you get some of your benefits? And my mentality of my generation was, what do you want, a medal? You just do what you're supposed to do. And we didn't ask for a handout. And they said, he said, well, you know, Pastor, uh, you know, this is not illegal. You got some problems. I said, thank you. <laughs> and he said, but I know how to go into the system. And you've had knee surgeries and you've had this and you've had that. And if you'll trust me, it'll be something for your wife or when you're done. She'll, she'll get some benefits and you'll get some benefits when you stop pastoring. And the Lord said to me, perception, do it. So I made a commitment to do it like a job. Evaluations, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't something I was pleased with, but the Lord said, do it. So I've had a couple of three knee surgeries where I was in, parachuting, all that junk, and uh, different things. And I thought, okay, I'll do all that, the hearing test. I ran a 81 mortar platoon for a while and just different things. And they gave me the percentages, and I thought, okay. After two years of evaluation, I thought, I'm done. And then the guy came to me and he said, would you please do the psychological evaluation? And I thought, no. And the Lord said, you promised. I said, I promised to do the VA like you told me to. And the Lord said, this is part of the VA. And so I submitted myself to 17 weeks of psychological evaluation during COVID. Did it by phone. And while they were studying me, I was studying them. I mean that. I was doing the, I was doing the work, like really doing the work they asked me to do. They give you, it's a, it's a, you say, is it psychobabble? This wasn't. This was solid. I'd sit down at 3.30 in the morning getting ready for the 9 o'clock appointment and be crying over what they were asking me to do, going back and remembering some stuff. Are you still with me? And that's why I went through this thing to where the first port was self-talk. And they wasn't telling me how to think. They were trying to pull up things of how I was thinking and how I was perceiving and how I had tucked it away in my heart from a few different things that happened to me in my life. Does that all make sense? The second point was stuck points, and then they went on to more. And I did 16 weeks of that. But while they were looking at me and talking to me over the, you know, the teleprompter, I had a little notepad down here writing down scriptures, writing down scriptures that God was giving me doing this. Does this make sense or not? Let me show you one about David again. By the way, David's a man after God's own heart, but he had a couple problems. You've studied, you've preached this before. I want to just make sure you see it the way I do. Look at 2 Samuel 12. Nathan shows up, verse number 2. Look at it. 
The rich man, that's King David, is that right? Had exceeding many flocks and herds. But the poor man, that's Uriah the Hittite, had nothing save one little ewe lamb, that's Bathsheba. Are we okay so far? Talk to me a little bit. So, uh, verse number uh, four enters another one. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, unto King David. And he spared to take of his own flock, of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man. So we've got the rich man, King David. We've got the poor man, uh, Uriah the Hittite. We've got the little ewe lamb, Bathsheba. And now we've got the traveler, who's also called the, the wayfaring man. The traveler is just somebody that passes through once in a while. He's wayfaring. That was come unto him, that was come unto David, but took the poor man's lamb, took Uriah the Hittite's lamb, uh, Bathsheba, and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was kindred greatly against the man. So the big question is, well then, you know, if we know that the rich man is King David and the poor man is Uriah and the little ewe lamb is Bathsheba, then the question comes, who's the traveler? Who's the wayfaring man? And in my understanding, and I've not read commentaries, I just read this over and over again, the traveler and the wayfaring man is carnal David. Would you agree with that? It's carnal David talking to King David. Get me that woman. And King David gets stuck on her. Can't get her out of his mind. Are we okay so far? Uh, what's the stuck point? A lust. And don't tell me David didn't know who she was. He only had 24 mighty men. And we also know that this was Ahithophel's granddaughter. Come on, is that right? Ahithophel's close counselor to David, and that was his granddaughter. And so he knew who she was. And he used the king's office to call for her. But she willingly came. So they were both, when they committed adultery, they were both, according to Deuteronomy, worthy of death. Adultery in the city, she didn't cry out. Come on, is that right? Who told David to do this? It was the traveler. It was David that told David to do this. It was a wayfaring man that just came by. We, we, we got a traveler. Come on, we got a traveler. We call him the carnal nature, the old nature. Ladies, you got a, you got a traveler that can come by. And talk to you about something. Well, the traveler uh, in this, the wayfaring man, he, he doesn't just come by one night and, and leave. David's traveler, the wayfaring man, uh, look back at chapter 11. Stay with me. Chapter 11, look at verse 6. Verse 6. So, so David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Well, who's telling David to do that? The wayfaring man. Thank you. It's the traveler. It's the carnal, it's the carnal David that says, uh, send me Uriah. Why? Because the, the traveler's going to try to cover it all up. Because now he knows, now King David knows that she's with child. So send me Uriah back. And the, and the concept was he can give me a report on the battle. And uh, David's thinking through the eyes of the traveler, 
through the mind of the traveler that when he comes back, he'll go be with his wife and it'll all get covered up. Well, you know the loyalty of Uriah the Hittite. Because his unit's in the field, he does not go to his wife. So David does this in verse 13. And when David had called him, he uh, did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. You might want to put a little note there. That was the traveler that got Uriah drunk. But he didn't go down to his house. So verse number 14, David uh, wrote a letter to Joab. Who wrote the letter? King David in his power, but who told him to? The traveler did. Are you still with me? You following me? What I'm saying is the traveler can stay for a while and knock people out of the ministry. Knock people for a loop. I don't know about you, but some of you guys that get older, you're working with pastors who have struggled quietly, privately. They'll call you because they trust you. And they'll talk to you a little bit. And if you've ever uh, been uh, pre-trained by the Lord, you won't judge them too hard. You'll just try to help them. What do you mean pre-training? If you're contrite, if you're broken, if you're not out to destroy them. And I'm, I'm not saying they should all be restored to the ministry. Did you hear what I said? I didn't say they should all be restored to the ministry. But they have wives and families. And they still need to be a husband. They still need to be a father or a grandfather. And somebody just needs to not kick them. Maybe remove them, but not kick them. Is that okay to say all that? I know I'm from California, but I'm just saying. I'm not liberal. I just think that who knows when one of us might need help as a dad or as a husband. Not to be restored maybe back to pastor if we've done something really wrong. But I still got a function. I got a wife that didn't do anything wrong. And she needs some help. That's, that's the old city of refuge. Yeah, but they did it on purpose. I know. I get it. They done it ignorantly. I, I understand. There's a little bit of a, uh, of a concept there. But the point of it is, uh, David in this situation, the traveler now. And David, it, it came from David. He sent for Uriah. He had Uriah stay. He made Uriah drunk. And now he wrote a letter to kill Uriah. And God makes note of all that. Because David's talking to himself. In fact, it says this. Look over chapter 12 again. Chapter number 12. And look at verse number 9. Verse number 9. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord, Nathan says, to do evil in the sight in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite. With the sword, and hath taken his wife to be thy wife, and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. And you remember, in in the synopsis, David is given by the Lord. David is told, or we hear, that David was, I guess, forgivenly walking with the Lord, saving the matter of Uriah the Hittite. God said, "I'm gonna remember that one." Certain things you can't wipe away. And by the way, the, what was the punishment? The sword never departed from David's house. Because David listened to himself one night. And David had problems the rest of his life in his kingdom. Come on, is that right? Absalom. Abner. Amasa or Mesa. 
All those were his nephews. Joab, Abishai, Abishai, Asahel, sons of Zariah, his sister. Amasa, who he replaced and put in the place of Joab, wallowed in the blood when he died after Joab killed him. That was one of his nephews too. It was all within his own house. Why? Because one night he listened to himself. And he got stuck on something. Now, brethren, don't tell me we're not capable. If we listen to ourselves too much. That's why you're not going to teach this in college. But that's why you're able to shake your head and go, I know what you're talking about. Sitting there wanting to quit. Wanting to throw away the vision. Getting stuck on something. Especially just before God's going to open up another door. Say, do you think principalities and powers have uh, anything to do with this? Uh, Please look at uh, John 13. I'm watching your time this morning. I realize we've been at it a little while. John 13. Are you understanding what we're talking about this morning? Uh, The first two words are self-talk. Would you say those two words? Say them. Self-talk. One more time. Self-talk. Why do you say that? Because the Holy Spirit can bring that up to you when we need it. And say, say to me, Doug, that's self-talk. Careful. You're just getting that from yourself. The second two words are stuck point. You get stuck on something. Have you ever had it to where it just keeps playing and playing and playing? Some of you, maybe not all of you, and playing and playing and playing to where it oppresses you. And you don't know how to shut it off. Now, if you're here, if you're saying, gird up the loins of your mind, uh, Christians shouldn't get depressed, I say amen to you. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. But some of us have been plagued with it a little bit. And I don't want to go into my, self, my story too much on that area, but I'll just say that there's people in the congregation and there are leaders that can get into this and it's hard to get out. The whole of no hope. You know what I'm talking about? You may say, uh, I, I, uh, I spoke on this one time in front of about six or 7,000 leaders. And uh, about, uh, oh, wow, it was two years ago a guy called me. And um, he said, Brother Fisher, uh, could, I, could I talk to you for a moment? I said, yeah. And he said, um, uh, I'm going through some stuff that I've heard you speak about. I said, oh. And he started describing it. And it, was, it was oppression, some depression, genuine depression, not just discouragement, but depression. And I said, uh, well, I listened for about a half an hour, which is always a good thing to do when you start just listen." Just, just listen for a while. And don't, don't talk over the top of them. Just listen for a while. And I said, the first thing I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, I'd like you to get just go on YouTube and, and write Doug Fisher Depression and then watch that message. He said, uh, Brother Fisher, I just watched it. I was there that night. I said, really? You were there that night? That was a number of years ago. And he said, yeah. And I was sitting up there in the balcony listening to you thinking, What's wrong with this guy? I said, what? He said, yeah, I was up there criticizing you in my heart, in my mind. Because I was a younger guy, young preacher. And I was criticizing your message that night about you talking about depression in the ministry. He said, now I'm calling you. Because it's visited me now. 
I said, where are you at with the whole thing? He said, I don't know what to do. I said, that's a good start. Talking to somebody is a good start. I said, uh, how do you feel about the, the message now? And I was kind of like, oh, Doug, you shouldn't have said that. That wasn't right. <laughs> he said, well, he said, uh, now I'm on the other side of it, and I don't know what to do. My wife is worried. I've got adult children that are worried. I'm kind of a mess right now. I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you, but I want to tell you this right up front. I don't know how you go in, and I don't know how you come out. He said, what? I said, I don't know how you go in, and I don't know how you come out. I don't know how you lose a portion of hope and then how you gain it back again. But you'll learn what hope is. You already know a little bit about faith and charity. God's going to show you something about hope. Come on, you still with me? And some of the ways you learn about what hope is is for God to take a little portion of it away. Hope helps you to get up in the morning and look forward to it. Hope gets you up on Sunday morning and look forward to church. When you lose it, you get up and you go, oh no, it's Sunday morning. Oh no. And you look at your notes and there's nothing there. Oh, there's scriptures, but there's nothing there. And some of y'all will be looking at me right now and might be going, this guy's a mess. I know he's a mess. David was a mess. Come on, are you still with me? David got messed up. Who messed him up? David messed himself up. Started self-talk. And sometimes, please listen, you can't, you don't know how to shut off the torments. The torments. I know the scriptures, you know, God hath not given us a spirit of fear. Is that right? What does he give us? A sound mind. What's the opposite of a sound mind? A shaken mind. Not soon shaken in deed and spirit and letter. Fear hath its torments. And sometimes fear can enter into our mind like it did David, and it's tormenting. I'm not trying to turn this into psychological, but some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And I just want to show you where, uh, how Satan can get involved. Say so you're making it worse. No, no. Let's define it. Let's help each other a little bit. We don't need more people leaving the ministry. In fact, part of this thing, brethren, is training so we can minister to more people. It softens our preaching just a pinch. Makes it more effective to somebody when we don't think we know what we're doing. After you've been through some contriteness and brokenness. Now, it's almost like you're saying God can allow you to go into this. God can allow you to go into this. God allowed Job to go into this. Don't tell me Job wasn't oppressed. The word God uses is captivity. But during that period of time, he learned more about God. Come on, yes or no? Say, how do you know he learned more about God? When he went into this, it was Satan and God dealing with this. Job was just, he couldn't see what was going on behind the curtain. 
In chapter 38 of Job, in 39, it's where uh, God says, uh, where were you when I did this? And it sounds like a rebuke, and it is. But it's also God telling Job who he is. Yes, he's rebuking him. But God is learning, uh, God is teaching Job, here's what I do, here's what I've done. And when Job hears chapter 38 and 39, his, his response is, I'm vile. Because the closer you get to God, the more you see yourself. And his first response is, I have nothing to say, I'm vile. And by the time he gets done with 40 and 41, here's who I am. Job says, I thought I knew you. I abhor myself. It brings you lower. But it brings you closer. And then God turned the captivity of Job. Come on, is that right? By the way, uh, pray for all the friends you know. It doesn't turn your captivity. Pray for all that you that despise you. It may not turn your captivity. Everybody's looking for a formula solution to get out. It's when God wants us out. Am I, am I losing you on this? You say, man, I liked your message last night better than the day. I know. Me too, but it, this is the one that God wanted me to talk about. Self-talk and what? Stuck point. Maybe none of you are facing that, but you may be able to help somebody else who comes to you and says, can I talk to you for a minute? I don't know what I'm going through. I never faced this before. And people don't like to stand up and expose themselves because they're so concerned about what somebody else will think. I mean, can't you see going away from the preacher's meeting? How, how was it? Oh, it was, I heard you had a guy from California there. Yeah, just say self-talk. I'll go, what? Oh, I got another one for you. Stuck point. But when you get in the book, it's in there. Elisha got stuck one day. I, even I, only am left. Moses got stuck one day. If thou deal thus with me, kill me. He meant it. He wanted out. That was running. He was running. The ultimate run is, get me out. What Bible college did you go through, brother? I told you I didn't go to one. So you can't blame it on the college. <laughs> Oregon State. <laughs> but if you just keep studying and run into stuff, look if you would at uh, John. You're in John? Stay with me. Look at John chapter 13, verse number 2. You're doing well. Verse number 2. And supper being ended, the devil how now, having now put into the what? Heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to do what? To betray him. But let's study it a little bit more. So now the devil, Satan, has now put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. Uh, go back one chapter. Look at chapter 12. You're doing well. Chapter 12. Almost finished. Chapter 12. Notice verse 4. Verse 4. Then one of his uh, disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Remember when the woman with the alabaster box, Mary, comes and she's uh, uh, doing what she's doing uh, unto his death. Judas looks upon that and says, verse 5, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And then God says this, This he said not because he cared for the poor, 
but because he was a what? Say it. He was a what? Everybody said he was a what? So his problem was greed. So Satan's going to play on the character flaw. We all have a character flaw. And principalities and powers will play on our character flaw. Judas's character flaw, he was a man, Judas. He was also empowered to go out and preach. Come on, is that right? One of the apostles, he was empowered to go out and preach, which he did. But now at supper, Satan puts something in his heart. What does he use? Well, he says, no, he just told him to betray him. No. Judas went after his heart and said, greed. You can get something out of this. Are you still, did I lose you right there? You say, no, Satan put it in his heart to betray him. Satan used greed. Because he knew his character flaw was he was a thief. Uh, how, how do you know that's true? Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26. You're doing well. Matthew chapter number 26. And thanks for turning there. Everybody, everybody there? I, I see you coming along. Come on, it's almost lunchtime. A little bit more. Matthew 26. Bible Institute time. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. It's greed. And he covered it with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to pray. So here's how it worked. Satan entered in and worked on Judas's character flaw, which was greed. Please listen. And then Judas started talking to himself. I'll get him. But he wasn't out to get him. He was out to get the money. I'll say this again. The money blinded him. From him seeing what he was actually doing. Like David was blinded by lust. And David was blinded was Saul's going to get me. So this thing can come up on our mind. That's all we see. And then we start believing it. And then if we're not careful we take action on it. And so Judas just wants that, that 30 pieces. You say, are you sure about that? Look at chapter 27. Chapter 27 of Matthew right there. A couple more scriptures we're done. Matthew chapter 27. Notice verse number 3. Verse 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was what? Condemned. What did he do? He repented himself. Brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest, saying, I have sinned that I have betrayed the innocent blood. It hit him what he did. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to it. Notice what he does with that 30 pieces of silver. He casts it down on the temple floor, departed. And then when he realized what he did, he went out and he hanged himself. Suicide. What blinded him? His greed. Satan used the greed. He went to the chief priest. Can't you see him talking to himself? This is the guy that was empowered to preach. This guy, this was one of the guys that had power over devils. He said, no, it was Judas. I know the son of, I understand the son of perdition. But he was a man chosen. He was one of the original. And Satan worked on him with his character flaw and knew what it was. 
I don't think Satan came in and said, go betray him. I think Satan come in and hit on the greed. Hit on the greed. Please look, look. And then Judas went to the chief priest and says, I know, I know, I, I know what you want. I can give him to you. They wanted to take him privately. So he didn't create an uproar. Well, Judas knew where they met, out in the garden, every night. And he led them for 30 pieces. And then once it was done, realizing what he did, he went back and said, I don't want this anymore. The Bible says he repented himself. It's too late. Threw the money down. Can't you see, can't you see that David thought, why did I ever do that? Why did I ever do that? Why did I ever do that? Isn't it amazing that God used David and Bathsheba to have Solomon? Come on, you ever, don't, am I losing you now? What I'm saying is, why did I ever do that? How many guys in the ministry aren't? And how many of us came close to throwing something away for some character flaw? And don't think principalities and powers don't work on us. To get us to talking to ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to discern whether it's us or whether it's them. Come on, now you're really getting weird, preacher. Sometimes you don't know if it's where the voices are coming from. You say, I don't hear any voices. Oh, really? Don't tell me you don't get a thought passed through once in a while. Men, ladies, especially when you're about ready to enter into something bigger. Open door. Many adversaries. Come on, is that right? Things start coming up. Am I the only one you're making me look? Yeah, I mean, you got problems out there, preacher. Yeah, this stuff happens. I can't wait till I'm done. You mean you mean now done with the ministry? No, done with Earth. Oh, don't you love life? Yeah, sometimes. I do sometimes. But there'll be a time when we won't have to face this stuff anymore. And the unseen. So what happens? Look at Acts chapter 1 and we're done. Acts chapter number 1. This self-talk, this stuck point. I know this is a different type, but maybe you'll go now and get anything out of that. Maybe later you'll, maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's to help somebody else. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's kind of, it's kind of synopsized in this. Verse 16. Men and brethren. This scripture must have needs been fulfilled. Verse 16, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning, before concerning Judas. Which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us. He's one of us. And had obtained part of this ministry. Brethren, he was in. Verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. His bishopric was his office, is that right? His apostleship. So he was in, but he lost it. What did he lose? Verse 25, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, and that he might go to his own place. It's called the son of perdition. The point of it is, brethren, that... Uh, we need to be careful when we uh, start talking to ourselves too much about imaginations that aren't true or about a character flaw that we have. Let me go back and tell you that David 
first of all, had a fear of Saul and was stuck on Saul. And then lust. And I understand we, we preach on it. He should have been out to battle. When kings go forth to battle, he stayed behind. And that woman was down there washing herself and the whole thing. You can just see how it's a big setup. But then David tried to cover it up. And actually killed Uriah. Thinking he could get away with it. And by the way, that wayfaring man stayed with him a long time. And then the sword didn't depart. God didn't kill him out of grace. But the sword didn't depart. But Judas lost it all. So does this make any sense to you? And I don't know if you all have a problem once in a while with the self-talk. But we have to be careful. And sometimes it's training to help somebody else. But sometimes, if you look in the Bible, uh, Elisha was, uh, uh, yea, uh, he said to the Lord, uh, he said, what doest thou here, Elijah? I said, I'm the only one left. But he said that up at Carmel. When the prophets all died, that's what he said up there, I'm, I'm the only one left. And he was down there and he took his servant and went out. And then he left his servant. He was out there alone for weeks and weeks and weeks. Come on, is that right? What doest thou here, Elijah? Um, I'm the only one left. God didn't rebuke him. Then he asked him again, what doest thou here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I'm the only one left. And God said, "Uh, I got something for you to do. Go anoint this king. Go on to another king and go get the next guy ready. That's pretty big, three big tasks. God wasn't done with him. God didn't rebuke him. If we can just endure a little while, if we can just get through another one, maybe God will have something bigger for us. And we'll be broken about it and know that we're not doing it, but he's doing it and carrying us. Um. I just want to say to you ladies who have men that are somewhat in leadership, influencers, you ladies are real important to us. Amen. More than you know. Uh, who was it? Was it, uh, was it you that your wife, yeah, Brother Love, said, get up, let's go? So I went through my first depression at 46 years old, and uh, my wife just weathered it and weathered it and weathered it and weathered it. And it was just me talking so bad about myself, if you would. And she weathered it and weathered it and weathered it. And about seven months into it, and I won't go into detail, she looked at me one day and she says, Doug, I don't know how much longer I can handle hearing how bad you are. That's all you think about is yourself. And when she said that, was like... And she said, Doug, I know you're thinking about resigning, but... Why don't you think about me? Because when you resign, I resign. And my opportunity before the Lord gets hindered too. So it's not just you. It's me too. So think about that before you do it, please. Because I've been talking about it. Not to staff, just to her. He said, please think about it. It's our judgment seat, Doug. It could affect our children. And once you resign, there's no going back. And even if you do, you'll be a lame duck. 
And that was her thoughts. She hadn't said anything for six months other than encouraging me, giving me a shoulder to cry on. Come on, that was okay, Doug. Come back off a message. I just need to hear someone say it was okay. She lied to me. It would be okay. <laughs> Do y'all know what I'm talking about or not? I'm serious. She was one of the ones that helped hold me in. And I thought, I can't do this to her. I go up and preach, cry before I preach, go up, wipe it away, preach, go back in my office and cry half an hour till everybody left. Try to get ready for that night. You say, man, sounds like you're a really poor pastor. I would agree. But sometimes people just need to hear you were in low hope and you're back out. Because I woke up with hope today. I did. I woke up with hope today. I'm not saying where it'll be this Sunday, but I woke up with hope today. You say, you're a mess. I know I am. But at least I'm transparent about it. And this was what I was doing when I was going with the VA with the self-talk and the stuck point. I was writing notes down about scriptures and about myself and what I was learning. And the Lord was like, you promised to do it. Now go out and try to help some others. Expose yourself. Some will judge you, but some will listen. The ones that judge you, don't worry. It'll be okay. They're not your judge. I am. Do what I'm telling you to do. And then go out and try to help some others. And in a congregation like this, there'll be one or two or three of you on here that have gone through this. And maybe you've been trained to help somebody else. Because it doesn't have to happen at 45. It can happen in 30s. It can happen in 35, that first few years of ministry. This morning we heard about bearing burdens from Brother Love. Heard about perception from Brother Noel. And a little bit about self-talk and stuck points. It's uh, three minutes till 12. We should take some time of prayer before we leave. Would you agree? Yes, and I don't know how you do it, what you want to do if you want to pray with your wife. She's here. Oh, guys, uh, you can pray alone or if you want to pray with somebody. That's what a preacher's fellowship is all about. Amen. You say, well, what if I say something and someone hears me? Um, we might as well be friends, not judge each other. God brought us into this room, and nobody knew what we were going to expect from Brother Love or Brother Noel or what I was going to speak about this morning. And I hope when we go away, I, I took notes on the first two, and I hope when you go away, something, the Holy Ghost will bring something to fruition in your life. Maybe your wife's not here and she'll say, oh, what'd you learn? What'd you get? I hope you can tell her something. That way she'll let you come out again. Play with the boys. Let's stand. Let's use the altar this morning. If you want to do it by yourself or combine with somebody. And have a word of prayer with somebody. Be an encouragement one for another. If you want to pray with your wife, you can do that. Good. Don't don't you don't have to wait, hesitate. Let's let's just use this little five, seven minutes. This is what we do.